Really quick, before we get started, if you're a return listener, can you please leave a rating? If you're on Spotify or iTunes, you can leave star ratings and subscribe. It makes a huge difference to the growth of the, of the podcast, and it, it means that we can impact more construction companies to allow them to make more profit and stay in business over long term, and that's all we want to do. So please uh, leave a rating and subscribe, and now let's get on with the show. Hi everyone, this is Tecla. I'm Client Success Manager at Quantum. In this episode, Ken is talking about his journey in this business, how and why we decided to use AI to improve our services, and why are some of the contractual contracts so complicated. So this is the episode from the podcast Bridging the Gap, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software Great Tech Group. You're invited to join our conversation to model the future of construction innovation, and the digital transformation adventure of this great industry. My guest today is Kian Brennan. He's the CEO of Quantum Contract Solutions. He spent almost two decades on the client side of construction. Over this time, he saw hundreds and hundreds of construction companies being bullied contractually, losing money, and even going out of business. In 2019, after becoming deeply concerned with the state of the industry and having inside knowledge of how clients manage contracts, he launched his own company. Kian has won a 40 under 40 award, a best of business innovation award, and an outstanding growth and was a finalist for entrepreneur of the year in the CEO magazine and business news. Finally, he's also the host of construction secrets podcast. Welcome to the show, Kian. Thanks, Todd. Uh, really nice to, to be here. Um, I think you guys won um, construction podcast of the year too, as well. Right? So that's cool. That's right. Yeah, we uh, we won that a, a couple years ago, and we like to say that we're still the reigning champs in it because there hasn't been a that competition has not happened since the last year we won. So nobody has <laughs> has dethroned us technically. So it's a uh, that's it's a it. Fantastic. That's cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, how did you get into the construction industry to begin with? Oh wow! Um, so. My grandfather was in the construction industry. He had, he had a contracting business. Um, and one of the kind of important things uh, uh, I remember in my grandmother's house after my granddad died, she had this beautiful um, uh, framed newspaper article um, of the, the day he died. And, and it, it said the man who built Galway. And Galway's the west of Ireland where, where I'm from. And um, from well, I remember reading that as a kid and thinking, yeah, I'd really like to get into construction. Um, and it, things 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 went a little bit different because I kind of wanted to em emulate um, him. But the advice I was given was, don't that the contracting side, uh, GC side, subcontractor side is um, very difficult. You're better off going the client side. Um, so. That's that's the that's the path I went down. I went um, client side, university, um, all of that, all of that good stuff, um, and yeah, that, that's how it all, that's how it all began. That's awesome. Is there uh, something that you wish you would have known at the beginning of the career? Yeah, actually, um, ha, ha, um, I have a, a bit of a view on this, um, and I, I put a, a tweet out about it the other day. Is that um, you know, in when you're in your twenties, really, really should be learning, not earning. You know, and um, and client side does tend to pay better. 
but um, you don't get exposed to um, really interesting conversations and meetings when you're, you know, in your twenties and you're you're working, you know, for a larger organization. You kind of you're pigeonholed into this sort of one area and this one thing that you do, and obviously you get good at that one thing. But when you're contractor side, you you very quickly get into meetings where you're discussing contracts, you're discussing budgets, you're discussing, you're making negotiations. And so from an experience point of view, you would have learned fivefold if you were contractor side. You would have been exposed to a lot more um, of the financial game of construction. And so I think if I was to go back, I, I, I think to learn more, I would have gone contractor side earlier. Um, because yeah, that's it's you get so much more exposure at a y- much younger age because you you have to right resources dictate that you you get involved in these things which is which is great. Kian, based on kind of your your perspective of the industry of, of all the the different areas that you've gotten to partake in, what do you think is the biggest opportunity ahead for construction this year? Opportunity in general, I mean, yeah. It's really, it's really hard not to look past AI, right? It's, um, I think the where construction is going now and where service business and different types of businesses, um, the, the challenge that they're facing is that AI is is without a doubt here, um, and you can choose to be an AI enabled company, or you can, you know, you can maybe risk being replaced. Um, pretty in the, in the near future. Um, and so when I'm looking at um, how AI will impact the biz, uh, the construction industry, I'm not, I'm not of the opinion that people are going to be replaced. I think eventually, of course, they will. But I think if you're the type of company that wants to innovate and, um, you know, down the line when people are looking at different services and different construction services, they're still going to want to come to you provided that you have AI enabled in the back end to be able to deliver a better product. They're still, they're not going to want to incorporate their, uh, like a GC, for example, and you're, you're, you, uh, they're not, they're not going to want to do the contracts like AI stuff themselves. They'd rather have a third party who's, you know, who's done all the prompts, done all of the investigation, knows how to manage it. Um, that's a valuable business in the future um, for people. Um, and that's where I think that's where I think the industry is, is going in all different facets. So you can choose to be AI enabled or, or choose not to. Um, and as a company, we are, you know, we've just added it to our culture that we are an AI enabled company. And I've challenged the team this week to see if they could replace themselves um, with AI, what 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 they could, uh, what what tools that they can use. Um, so that's the that's the plan for this week. So next next week's um, team meeting, we're going to discuss what platforms that they have been able to make their their jobs more efficient. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought experiment. What was the the reaction to when when you rolled it out? I think it was, it was quite interesting. I was, you know, I thought I'd have to do this big, you know, big, big sell to people that, you know, the AI is super important. And, uh, but everyone was like, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. We need to be the type of people that are using it. And so, yeah, it was, it was, it was taken on really, really well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's been fascinating. Obviously chat GPT has been everywhere. You can't go anywhere without somebody saying something about it, but the, that whole concept is 
super fascinating and it's clearly the, the way everything is is moving so you gotta be willing to risk it and kind of jump out there and figure it out early because other people are, are going to be doing that yeah, yeah we're using ChatGPT every day now so um even just in you know so obviously copy marketing and that sort of stuff it definitely helps just very quickly give you ideas and and to rewrite stuff for you but also in our customer delivery when we're talking about uh, you know, when, when someone, one of our clients sends in a contract to be reviewed, for example, we respond letting them know that we've received it. So you can respond with a generic, you know, your, 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 your contract has been received. We're working on it in due course or something boring like that. Right. But now we respond every single one is something different. We just run through Shaft GBT to get the same thing, but slightly different. So it, you know, it's, it comes across a bit more personable and it comes across a bit more interesting. Um, yeah. Just little things like that. I love that. So you brought up contracts. It's a, it's a big hot button area in construction. Why do you think construction contracts in particularly are so uh, complex and, and contentious? Hey, just two seconds and we'll get straight back to the show. We have a website called constructionsecrets.io that has got free training, free videos, everything you need to be a contractually astute company that can sign better contracts with way less risk, way less downside, and be able to make more profit on your projects. Ultimately, just be a more successful construction company that stays in business over the long term. So go check it out and become way better contractually. Um, now, let's get back on with the show. Um, well, they're not, they, they aren't, not all of them are, right? Um, but uh, the big problem is 26% is, is the figure, the latest figure um, of all insolvencies come from the construction industry. And so the last quarter, um, as our time of, of speaking now, Todd, um, was the highest insolvency rate since 08. Okay, so... Mm -hmm. Construction companies are going out of business, and there's, there's a couple of different reasons for it, right? So, the, the, the I guess the main reasons that it's happening is a lot of people are in lump sum contracts, fixed price contracts, um, and the prices have gone insane, and they can't get people and they can't deliver on their projects. Okay, cash flow gets very very tight; they don't get paid, and they end up going out of business. That's kind of why. But if you go st one step further, is the contracts that they've signed have not allowed for that to change. Okay, so. Typically, what happens in the construction industry, you've got you've got the owner of the thing, right? So it could be the government, could be developer, oil and gas company, mining company, whoever wants to build the end project uh, is the top of the food chain. Then you've got your GCs. And with your GCs, there's going to be a contract between your GC and the owner. And that contract, both of those guys are going to have lawyers, are going to have contracts people on both sides, and they're going to negotiate a contract that they believe is fair. Now, that tier one, that GC, he actually doesn't do any work, okay? He subcontracts out all of the work. So really, they're actually a finance company, if you think about how they actually make money. So the, the turners of the world, those type, those type of guys, they, they, they might do some construction, but more often than not, they do absolutely nothing. And so they make money between the delta, between how much they get paid by the owner, the loan that they get from the bank, and how much they pay their subcontractors. That's that's their that's their that's their business model. And so it's very important to remember that because if things are running out cost wise, right, they're going to try and recoup their costs. But what they do is with their contracts down the way, when they're talking, uh, when they're uh, negotiating contracts with the subcontractors, they issue 
contracts that are far, far, far more riskier and aggressive than the one that they've signed. And the reason is a risk arbitrage to keep the risk down at that tier two subcontractor level. So if anything happens, it doesn't affect them getting paid up the line. Okay. Mm. So you can, you understand why they do it, right? I guess if, you know, sure. but they're, not, they're not the big, bad, you know, companies, but if you were in that position, you probably, you probably would do the same thing. Okay. Maybe right. a bit nicer. Okay. So what happens is then the subcontractors, typically are smaller companies, right? They're, they're not, you know, they don't have teams of lawyers in-house. And so they don't have the expertise or the people to understand what's in the contracts. And then they, therefore, they sign really bad contracts. They sign, a lot of times they just sign them as is or negotiate one or two things, thinking that they're, they're not able to negotiate a contract. And then, um, you know, to, to quote, uh, you know, well, it, it's not necessarily a quote, but Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett, very, very famous people, but they talk about, um, um, sorry, the quote is, is Keith Cunningham, right? Um, is um, a very good book called um, uh, The Road Less Stupid. And all three of those guys talk about the downside, right? So most people can be successful, right? It's how long can you keep going up without a huge down, Right. And construction is the same. So if you look at uh, if you have the the philosophy and the best construction companies in the business do, if you have the philosophy that I'm happy to take a reasonable margin with low risk. okay. so if something goes wrong, it's just a blip and I still continue my trend of growth upwards. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you take on, you know, for example, a very high margin and a lot of risk in your contract and that's fine if that's your strategy. But then if something happens, the downside is huge. And the downside could lead to you going out of business and losing a lot of money. And so when you sign a better contract and you invest your time in understanding contracts and what's important, that's where you get that lower risk. You get those little blips. And over time, it's so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So how should, yeah, 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 totally. So how should subcontractors then think about going into a uh, negotiation to really work on those more favorable terms? Because it's, it's easy to think that they're, you know, the, the little guy, David, fighting the, the big, bad Goliath. Yeah, yeah, but that's a really good point. You can use that to your advantage. I'll talk about that in a second. But the, the first thing that construction companies need to understand is, one, is the game of construction. The business of construction is two parts. You construct something, deliver something, whatever it is, but you also, there's a contractual side to get paid for it. So mm-hmm. more often than not, Todd, all of these guys are experts. You could give them a complex architectural or engineering drawing and they have navigated, they understand it inside and out, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, what you also need to be able to, and that you need to be able to do is get a document that's been written by a lawyer, right? AKA a contract, and also interpret that as well. You don't need to be a lawyer to interpret a contract. It's the same as where you don't need to be an architect or engineer to interpret drawings. You need to interpret, so you need to get educated on what means what. It's very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the way to look at these things, and this is the reality from being on the, 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 the other side of the fence, is that they give you their worst contract expecting you to negotiate. And so if five people are bidding for a project and only four people, I'm sorry, four people try to negotiate the terms of the contract and one doesn't, and if that one is you, right, they don't look at you and think, hey, you know, this guy's really easy to deal with. They think of you as oof. This this guy's pretty green, you know. This this you know why hasn't he? You know we're a bit concerned now, and they don't have the confidence that you can do the job. Okay, so it actually works against you. 
And so really it's it's you know just as as a company um and i'm i'm only saying this because it gives you an example as to what you can get across the line if we get 82% of what we've put forward across the line so the whole Wayne Gretzky thing you know you don't ask you don't get shots you don't take you don't score right so right. the game is they're giving you their worst contract they have backup clauses for every single thing and they they're, they 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 just go okay well you don't agree to that one we'll give you the backup one right and you can easily reduce your risk that's the game right so the game has been played whether you want to play it or not basically yeah nice so what can uh, subcontractors do as kind of a the, the first step if they want to be proactive in the discussion um, okay so as the when you're being asked to tender to bid. They will actually say, you know, you have to put forward your technical clarifications and then you have to put forward your commercial clarifications. And so when they when um, and that's at bid stage, right? A lot of people just wait until they've just been issued a contract to sign. And it, you know, if that's the case, well, that's fine, too. But ideally, you want to do it at bid stage and then you just put forward what you don't agree in the contract. That's the starting point. OK, mm-hmm. um, and even even to go back a step, if you wanted to sit down uh, with insurance company or once you understand the, the contract, come up with a set of commercial principles for your company to say, we don't sign up to X, Y and Z. Right. Um, and then as part of your your bids, you can just put in that document saying, hey, uh, our bid is based on the acceptance of these commercial principles. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, what pitfalls? should contractors be kind of on the lookout to avoid that are kind of the common mistakes that they they might make uh okay well one is okay so payment terms are always tricky right so give an example of okay first of all you want to have you know 30 calendar days 20 business days is probably about standard depending on the size of the company you are um, and, and what you're doing but if you actually read the clause on payment terms, right? And let's just say it says uh, 30 calendar days, end of month, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, that seems that seems okay. But if you read the clause, it might say something like, okay, you have to submit your payment application on the 28th of, of month one. So you submit it on 28th of month one. They review your payment application on the 3rd of month two. They go, yeah, that's all good. Please submit your invoice, right? Here's a payment certificate. Uh, please submit your invoice against this payment certificate. So you do that on the 5th of month two, say. Then you have to wait all the way until the end of that month, because it's end of month, and then they add 30 days. So in actual fact, you are signing up to 50, 60-day payment terms. Um, it's those little things where the devil is in the detail that you need to look out for. Um, yeah. one, another one is, is termination clauses. A lot of the termination clauses will be one way. So they'll have all the different ways that they can terminate you, but you can't necessarily terminate them. And so you really need to be able to terminate your client if, or if, for example, they don't pay you, but right? you don't want to be in a situation where you have to keep working, even though they haven't paid you. And you're like, Hmm, are they going to pay me? And this, this is when, when companies are going insolvent, this is when this comes in, right? You're like, they haven't paid me last month. Are they going to pay me this month? Um, and then you're in that terrible scenario where you're going to have to keep working. 